I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. This is going to be finishing up our, our series on, on the home and family, marriage and family. I have, I have really enjoyed it, uh, but you young people will be going to your class next Sunday. And we're going to be starting a new series on Jubilee. I almost uh, had wished, if I can say that, that I had ju- the, the series on Jubilee last this past year. But it will be coming up this, this year. So Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that the days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou sliest down, and when you risest up. And thou shalt bind them for signs upon your, thine hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And they shall write them upon the post of the house and on your gates. All right, you may be seated. How many of you remember that you've got children? And maybe even it's happening now with some of you, but your children uh, go home, younger children, and play church. Has anybody ever had their kids' children do that? I shouldn't say kids, kids are goats. Ever had your children do that? Raise your hands. It's good. That's, it, it, it's, it makes you feel good to see them, them playing church. I, Krista sends me uh, videos of, of Sawyer preaching. But Sawyer knows he can never be the preacher that his grandpa is because he has to wear four or five ties all at once. That makes him a better preacher. Now, you see, the more ties a preacher wears, the, more, the better his ability because he takes on the, uh, you know, the, the characteristics of other preachers. So five ties. Ties is what makes a preacher. That's the reason I got this new one, Jerry Garcia, Grateful Dead. <clears throat> You know, you could really preach a message on the Grateful Dead. There are some people in church that need to be grateful that they died out to the world a long time ago. Isn't that right? (laughs) But anyway, it makes you feel good. You know, you look at their faces and you see them, uh, you know, they're mimicking what they see. And it's a beautiful sight. Uh, to, to see that. From a publication called The Simple Guide to Family Worship, the author writes this. He says, The importance of the home and discipleship is prominent throughout the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, fathers are commanded to teach their children throughout the day, even if that training is informal. In summary, he says, Family worship in the Bible is rooted in the idea of responsibility. Parents, especially fathers, fathers, are primarily responsible for the spiritual instruction and the vitality of their families. Now, this, the, the, the task is great and it's weighty, but God's grace is greater than the eternal rewards are beyond anything the world can offer. Uh, that was written on April 3rd, 2013. So one of the greatest gifts that parents can give their children is a home where worship is comfortable. 
And worship needs to be comfortable at home. And we're going to cover some areas here this morning concerning this. Let me ask you this. What, what do we see when we hear the words, a center, now listen to what I'm saying, center of worship? What do you, what do you see? When you see the term, or hear the term rather, center of worship, is it the blue wisp of smoke rising from the altar of incense in the tabernacle? Or is it a hundred people on a Sunday night all raising their hands and shouting to the glory of God? What do you see? Anybody want to give me a hands up? This is a teaching. I love teaching. What do you see? Come on. I can always call on you. We can break the ice by me calling on you. I won't call on Tony because he have a better answer than I do. Yeah. Anybody? What do you say? Go ahead, bro. Heart. Center of worship. Very good. Actually, that's a good answer. That's, uh, and it enters into it. It's a great thing about hearing this, any kind of feedback, is that you can get variables. You'll see how people see things. And it works into what I'm talking about. Anybody else? Go ahead. Jesus Christ, center of worship. Another good. Anybody else? How about up here? Anybody again? Center of worship. Go ahead. Home. Every one of them fits. Every one of them fits. So, you know, let's look, let's look at it scripturally here. Let's look at John 4, 24. Once, in this case, a Samaritan woman asked Jesus where people should worship. Okay, so she, Jesus answered, and he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, every one of these answers fit that. So let's look at it. Let's just break it down a little bit more. True worship is a lifestyle. It's, it's a lifestyle. And this lifestyle is where we align our attitudes, what we think, what we say, and what we do with the Word of God. That's why every answer fit. Because every one of them pertain to the Scripture. And since we spend more time at home than in any other place, well, maybe. Some people don't spend any time at home. And you know that when you go into their home. <clears throat> I won't say any more. Our home should be the center of worship. They should be. The foundation of our worship center will be the sure Word of God. So we're going to build a house. We'll build a house. So, the, so we're, we're building a center of worship. We're going to have a foundation. We're going to have the framework, and we're going to furnish this thing. And as we do this, we're going to begin to see how that we can build that center of worship and have it working in the right way. So the sure word of God is definitely our, 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 uh, is our foundation. And deeds of love is going to make a strong framework. So we have to have a strong framework for us to build on the foundation. It has to be. So we will create a, a joyful atmosphere of praise in our center of worship. And finally, we will furnish it with the restful attitudes of acceptance and forgiveness. If there is anything that people... And you know, let me just let me break it down a little bit, bit more. And I, I think this is changing. I really do. But I, I have, through the years, I have watched... Apostolic people, people filled with the Holy Ghost, people who should be filled with the love of God because the love of God is spread abroad by the Holy Ghost. But I've watched apostolic people have some of the nastiest attitudes and lack of forgiveness and acceptance. 
Are you hearing me? Forgiveness and acceptance. Everybody fouls up. Everybody makes mistakes. You can be in church for 700 years and you're still going to mess up because you're a human being. And what just grates my soul is for him to mess up. And he was wise enough to confess the whole thing because he wants to be right with God. And then for me to sit back there on a pew and point my finger and look at him and say, well, he's no good. We can't ever do anything with him. When in reality, I'm sitting back there and doing the same thing. The only thing I learned to do was hide it. Apostolics are great at keeping hidden secret sins. I may preach on that. I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in a teaching mode. I've been in a teaching mode for a few months here. I'll get back to the other one. So, so anyway, we, we looked at acceptance, forgiveness. And, and with, we will attain our goal of making our home centers of true worship only as we... Now, this is, this is the key. We have to build, we have to rebuild, and we have to repair our attitudes about home uh, exercise genuine faith in the, in the master builder and relying on his guidance and assistance. Now notice this. We have to repair, we have to build, we have to rebuild. And we, regardless of who we are, we have to constantly go through that fact of our attitudes can get spoiled. The world has a way of messing with our attitudes. We can come into the church and we can go through the motions of doing everything right, but our attitudes can still really stink. It's because we need to repair them. And we get to feeling condemnation because our attitudes do stink. I come in and I sit down and I, or I come up here and sit down and I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm using myself. And I go through everything because I'm faithing things. You know, I'm faithing it. I'm not faking it. I'm faithing it. There's a difference. Uh, if you want to say faking it, that's okay too. Because sometimes we all come in and we have to fake it when we really don't feel good. What do we need? We need to rebuild. Our attitudes, because we need to get to that point where we realize that it's not me alone that's got this problem, but everybody that's hearing me this morning. I have to rebuild that attitude, and if we don't rebuild it, then we find ourselves in that place where we're just we're, we're never happy. That's what leads to backsliding. Don't ever don't 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 look at that person next to you and think they got it all together. Don't look up here and think that these men have got it all together. We don't. I'm trying to make it to heaven just like you do, or you are. I, 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 want, I want to make it to heaven. That's what matters to me. So let's look. Let's break it down a little bit more. We can build our homes on no better foundation than on God's Word. In Luke 21, 33, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. We as believers have a mandate to fill our children with the word of God. And fulfilling this commission should evidently consume much of our time at home. And apparently this, this should involve more than just scheduled daily devotions. This is not just a matter of scheduling something and doing it. This is a matter of being a lifestyle. It's a matter of always looking for some way to teach our children 
in, in the proper way. And, I, and I, I'm going to come to this. You know, uh, one mother said this. She said she was rocking her two-year-old and reading fairy tales to him. And, and she said, quite unexpectedly, the Spirit of God spoke quietly to her heart and says, why don't you make this limited time count by telling him about me? We need to take what limited time. Do you realize how quickly children grow up? I know that when you're in the midst of two or three kids and they're all through three or four years old, you think they'll never grow up. But believe me, it does happen, and it happens quickly. So you have a limited amount of time to be able to instill in them the right, the right way to go, the Word of God. Our time with our little ones, again, is short, but we, we can make it uh, really count by giving them true heroes from the Word of God. Stories read or told on their level of comprehension are usually our first building tools as we build the house of faith and worship. So we have to tell it to them on their level. Scripture memorization was David's strong, stronghold against the enemy because he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee in Psalm 119.11. Parents should select verses to meet needs on their child's level. They, they, they should make memorization an adventure with the whole family joining in the fun. For small children, charts, stickers, goals, and rewards, are, are, they're, they're great tools. They can learn the verse in the, uh, of the week on a Saturday and practice saying it after breakfast each morning. And this should be done, done at home, not just... And, and I know how hard some of that is sometimes. And I know that the Sunday school teachers tried to do some scripture memorization, and it doesn't seem like the, the parents want to help along, uh, do it. And it's a shame. Because even as something as simple as taking a, the, the, the scripture of the week and then taking an index card... And writing down the date that the child mem- remember, or memorized this particular verse and what the verse was. And then giving, it, giving him a file and then looking through this and praising him for being able to add to this file. Children need this kind of praise. You may, it may a, a stupid sticker. I had stickers all over everywhere in my house. Well, I, was, I got them on my tractor. I've got a little bobblehead lion. On my mule. That mule hates that line, too. It really is despising. But it's a bobblehead. It's a Kawasaki mule. And it's, it's on there. And you know, I took it in to have it worked on. He said, what's this mean? And I said, well, it's, it's my grandson. He wanted it on there. And then the other day, the grandson looks at it, and he says, and he's only four years old. He says, Pappy said, I'm too old for that. And I said, well, it's going to stay on there anyway. My younger grandsons were all unique. I don't know. I know every parent thinks that, but some of the things they've said to me, take after their grandmother. <laughs> so all this is, is, is something. So it, it's, it's keeping them, uh, and this is important. Games played at, at devotions with, with memorized verses keep their interest high. Each family member can give his interpretation of verses. Read a verse and let them give it to What do they think it means? You know, you've got to put this on a child's level. You have to. They have to understand what this is. They don't, they don't see things the same way you do. And something that may bore you to death may be extremely exciting to them. And so it's a matter of doing it the right way. Bible quizzing was also very good. You know what Bible quizzing does? Uh, it, it, it teaches responsibility, it teaches discipline, and the ability to lose gracefully and win gracefully. 
And, and so you know, they spend time memorizing. The only eternal words they will ever learn is what you will help them memorize out of the Word of God. That is the only eternal words. And although we hear the Word of God regularly at church, home is where the Bible is lived daily. You hear that? It's not a matter of just hearing it here and going home. It's a matter of living it before them. And we should give our children the invaluable experience of observing faith. And the Word of God is an action at home and proving the practical truths of Scripture. We need to show our families that God's Word is the standard of conduct for all the family. And a father whose hand is on the pulse of his family can plan a devotion around a much-needed area of improvement. You know, suppose a topic is responsibility, for instance. After a Bible story that relates that truth, he can let each family member choose two areas of life he needs to improve upon. Letting dad and mom go first. Charts of needed improvements could be hung on the bedroom doors as reminders. Good to have a chart. Good to have it. You know, have, have them see. Again, kids need to see improvement. They need to know this is the way that my, my family lives. And they've lived this particular verse. They've learned responsibility. Not only does the Bible teach responsibility, but I see responsibility live before me. You know, sometimes just as some simple thing as when you don't feel like coming to church, making yourself come anyway. Those children see it. They know exactly what's going on. Well, the pastor got up and preached the, you know, the need for being faithful, but mom and dad don't seem to have that one down yet. And so they will be exactly what their mom and dads are. Home is where we learn by example and practice to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And the Lord commanded Joshua to have 12 men take 12 stones from the Jordan Riverbed. And the reason given was so that the children would have an occasion in the future to ask, what do these stones mean? It would open the door to an opportunity to share their faith with their children. It's, it's, it's memorials. This happened. You know, one, one family said that they, everywhere they went, they bought uh, little porcelain uh, statues of potters. You know, potters working on the wheel and so forth. They ever said they had all kinds of them. But they said the reason that they did this was because there was a time in their life that they were... They were going through a hard time, and the potter was just was redoing them, if you would, reforming them. And so every time they looked at one of those little porcelain figures, they remembered that time when God did something in their lives that got them going the right direction. Uh, some of you being here this morning, I know you feel like that, you know, when is my life going to straighten out? When are things going to be back to normal again? But you very well could be on the potter's wheel right now, and God's trying to form you for something bigger in the future. Please remember that. And please, don't, don't ever get to the point where you're, you're afraid of going back on the potter's wheel because the one thing that I want to do is I want to be reformed more and more every day into his image. And it only can come through the potter's wheel. So it was a way for them to, to, to do this. They can, you can build a home library until they, you have all kinds of books with inspirational writings. I know that I don't necessarily agree with all some of these these, especially these more modern writers that got most of their stuff is junk. But, um, you know, I, I like the older stuff, and you've heard me say it before. But there are some good things out there. I, I, I got a book some years ago. Um, I can't remember the – it was – I can't remember his name now, but it was, it, it was a children's book. And I've got it in my library now about a leaf. They had a name. 
and, and the leaf went through the period of the bud, of the full leaf, the green leaf, and the fall, and the falling off the tree. And it was about children understanding death and how that Freddie, Freddie the leaf, how that Freddie fell off and he could see the whole picture. He didn't see the tree until he fell off the tree. Then he could see the whole picture. And I've used it. I think Don used it one time. And it, it helps children to see that sometimes we don't always understand why things, why death. But we don't see the whole picture yet. But after death, we will see the whole picture. And so, you know, it's little things like this. Do you ever wonder, you know, we take our children and, you know, within our, within our, our family or our family, our church family, people pass away. And how do you know, we just kind of push them at it and we don't really explain it to them. And, and you know, they have questions in our mind. Why does this happen? You know, think about it. We get up here and we, we preach or we teach eternal life, but yet somebody dies. Maybe they don't understand the concept of eternal life. Maybe they think eternal life is what we are right now. These are children. And even though that we sometimes want to ignore things like this, they still have questions. Believe me, children will find a way to answer the questions, and it may not be the right way. So it's up to us to be able to allow them to know and, and understand what is going on around them. So it's good to have a library, some, some good books. You know what? One pastor's daughter said this. She said, I heard all my life that we should pray and read our Bibles, but she said everyone was usually too busy at home to really do it. Children would rather see a sermon than hear one. Best example children can see of how to, to build a marriage is to see their parents have Bible studies, pray together apart from family devotions. They need to see that. They need to see when hardships come that mom and dad get together and they seek God together for the answer. Parents nurture at home the importance and, and appreciation for the preaching of the Word of God. And families could designate one dinner time a week uh, you know, as a time for family discussion of what the pastor's sermon was. What was said and how does it apply to our lives? Because that's one thing that I think is very important. I know not every, every message that you preach as a, as a minister, preacher, are going to apply to, uh, to everybody's life. But then there should be something there that can apply to your life. Even if you're very evangelistic on a Sunday night, there still should be something that is said that applies to each and every one of us. And I believe that God always sees to it. But you've got to listen enough to figure all this out. You know, a message should come from the heart to the hearts of the people. And even though maybe the person next to you doesn't pick up the same thing that you do, God always has something for each and every individual that will help them. Always keep that in mind and be able to, to fully discuss it and allow your children to understand this as well. The Bible is full of examples of, of godly parents who build on a strong foundation of God's Word for their homes. Now, there's Elkinah and, and Hannah built a godly home so well that at a young age, Samuel could leave home and serve God all of his life. You ever think about that? I know that Samuel was dedicated to God. I realize that. But they still had to put some things in him for him to leave home and serve in the, in the temple tabernacle, I think it was. At that time, they had to put something in him. So he was able to do this. So they had a godly home, and at a young age, he was able to do this. Moses' parents... We're not afraid of the king's command. Look at Hebrews 11.23. Hebrews 11.23. I love these scriptures. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid 
Look at that. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not afraid of what the king said. So is it any wonder that I think I'll give you Hebrews eleven twenty seven? Look at this. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. They weren't afraid of the government. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Because he realized that there was a one true God. Now, look at how he was raised. Look at what he had to endure. He had to endure two completely different cultures. He had the culture of his mama. And he had the culture of Egypt. And he was able to make the right choice. Because mom was put something right in him. She was able to raise him. You know, I... uh, I really believe that even in the, what we live in today, I, I was, uh, I, I read an, I, I was brave this morning. I read an article in the paper, Lee Hamilton, and uh, he was he was in government, and he made a, it, it was a good, it was a good article. He was talking about how people don't have any hope anymore. Now he was talking about in general how people seem hopeless, and he said people that I meet, he said they feel like that the American dream is dead. Feel like it'll never happen again, and he said they just walk around hopeless. And he said a lot of it is a result of what media is putting out. He said, he said we've always had hiccups in our, our you know, our economy, in our government. We've always had throughout the years, as long as we've been here. He said there's been hiccups. He said this one has been a long one, and he he said that he said that it has been. He said, but don't ever think. Don't ever think that the American dream is dead. And he said, the one thing that you have to have, he said, is you have to have hope that things are going to be better. And he said, I have that hope. I think things will be better. And and regardless of how you see it out there, and I'm not even going to talk about the world and the culture and all that. I'm talking about the church. No matter what you think, Jesus Christ is still bigger than every problem that the church has ever had. We never lose hope. Never lose hope. I, I still believe that there are people that are able to sustain out in a, in a world that is, is full of every kind of filthy thing you can imagine. You, if you teach your children correctly, they're not going to be a part of that world. If you involve them and you let them know how things are going, they're not going to be a part of the things of this world. You let them know. You let them know that going to heaven is the best thing in the world and that there have been people that have gone before them that have endured things just as hard as they've endured. And you can look at this with, with Moses. So everything would have been against him, but he managed to, to sustain himself uh, by the hope of God and by the help of God. Going on, Eunice and Lois, carefully planted and, and nurtured in young Timothy, a heart, the faith that was in their own hearts. They were able to put that into Timothy. Joshua boldly declared he and his household would serve the Lord. The Lord gave a great com- uh, commendation for Abraham that revealed his faithfulness. He said this in Genesis 18 and 19. He said, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. We need to remember that, that to little ears and minds, Bible terminology often is beyond their understanding. We have to put it in terms they understand. Let me tell you about some of our terminology. Pentecostalese... Can, 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 can mess with people out there. When you speak Pentecostalese, you know, you got somebody that's coming to the church or teaching a Bible study, they're going to look at you like that you don't know, they don't have a clue. You may be speaking, uh, you know, Filipino language. Because we, we have certain ways of shortening things, certain terms that we use, 
And we have to be careful that we, we can use terminology that people will understand. It's the same way with our children. They don't understand all the terminology of the Bible. You have to put it in, in a way that they can understand it. Uh, a Christian a Christian mother uh, was going through a real hard time, and she had to make a real pressing decision. So she often played the piano, and she sang Jeremiah 29, 13. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. One night at dinner, her four-year-old son prayed with such earnestness, and he said, And Lord, when you are lost, please help us to find you. To him, the Lord was lost. It wasn't us that was lost. So Lord, he said, Help us to find you when you get lost. You know, maybe it's not so bad after all. I think sometimes uh, it's not God that gets lost, but we get lost and we think he's lost. So this little guy may have had something going for him. He, he, he may have understood more than what he, can, he let on here. So, so it's, it's a matter of letting them know and putting it in their, in their terminology. Uh, although we may have to translate the Lord's precious promises to little ones, the main thing is to continue to build our homes on the sure foundation of God's Word, using any available tools that we we need to use. That's the important thing. Now, let's look at our home's framework. These are deeds of love. We've brought brought this out in the past, and this is a, uh, to me, it's it's always a really touchy, hard-to-understand place. We do deeds of love. Deeds of love should be first and foremost to our own family. Anybody agree? But then the Bible also talks about we should be open to hospitality. And we should be able to open our homes to our neighbors, to our friends. Uh, But more than that, you know, it's real easy to open your home to somebody who thinks the way that you think. If you've got somebody at your neighbor that likes to study tornadoes, I guarantee you'd open your home to him. You know, and it's the same way with me. Someone likes to fish or hunt. It's easy for me to talk to someone like that. But how about the elderly neighbor, the widow, the serviceman, who's maybe living next door, if you're around army bases. I know we're not here, but, but, but you know, the serviceman who's home and he doesn't have any family. Can you open your home to him as well? Can you do that? But that's, that's what really matters. It's, it's, it's deeds of love. And, and that's what builds the framework of this thing. This is, this is how our, our home should be, and it's what our children should be. And I know that, that uh, some of us, I know Adam's had some difficult things in times past growing up with maybe too much of that. I, I understand that you've, you've, you've done that. And, and he's talked, and I, he's, he's prompted some thinking on my part. Where, where do you draw lines? when it comes to inviting people over? Where does it become as good for your children to see you do that, but when it comes to taking things away from your children? Where is it good and where is it, where is it wrong? When does it, when does it come to a point where you stop? Not necessarily, let me rephrase it, but you cut down. You know, I, I, I know that this world, we should do deeds of love. We should. But on the other side of that, I don't want to hurt my immediate family by doing too much. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Is there an end? Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Go ahead. Uh, I feel like, well, 
Well, and, and that's, that's wisdom. But, and you have a designated night for your family, and that's, that's, wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. But when it comes to, uh, let's take that one step further. When it comes to giving or feeding people like this, when it comes to taking away from you, you know, we know that, that when we do good things, God's going to bless us. But there's also the, the, the principle and the teaching of stewardship. You know, you can, pay, you can pay 50% of your tithes. You can pay 50% of your money to the church. 10% for tithes and the other 40% just an offering. And then you can go without and can't pay your bills and something's wrong and you wonder, what in the world, God, what, what have I done wrong? Well, you've overdone it. You're not become a, a good steward. And it's the same way w- with time. You know, I've got to be sure that my kids are not to the point where they're resenting me because I'm doing too much. Um, I know, I said, this is a, this is a, a difficult place to be sometimes. And, uh, you know, when, when do I cut this off? When do I stop? And I tell you what, in, in society today, a lot of people are, it's not the, the next door neighbor, the widow, or the serviceman that you're helping, but it's members of your own family. And sometimes they can become, it's not a matter of good stewardship, it's a matter of getting rid of leeches. The only way to get rid of a leech is to burn him off. Uh, am, am, I, am I out of line here? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You hear that? That that was good. So what's that telling us? That's telling us that you there is a point where you can go to for. I, I believe, I believe in mentoring, I believe in helping and investing yourself. But there has to be limits. There has to be limits. And in both cases, and these were men that, you know, <laughs> important to God and did great things, but lost their own family. Go ahead. right stewardship yes exactly well you know all of us need to 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 be you know have loving deeds and to to do for the others you know the bible commands us jesus spoke of this 25th chapter of matthew uh you know the, the affliction of the widows uh to the homeless, fatherless, you know, these, these, these kind of people. We, we need to do this. And there are some people that if you don't help, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a strong one. I'd like to keep things, and I will help people outside the church. But there's people I know 
that need help within the church, a lot of times that never ask. Those are the ones that you want to help. Those are the ones because they're trying to make an effort. When someone walks in and then this church catches a lot of them, and you're going to be starting full-time, you're going to be catching a lot of it. When they, when they, they come in and they've got cigarette smoke all over them and, and they need gas money, it's hard for me to say, I can't help you to go to Indianapolis because what you spent on the cigarettes that you smoked, you could have got there. And, you know, I've been said bad things to because of that kind of opinion. But uh, I'm a steward, too. And, and you know, I, the Bible tells me that I need to be a good steward of, of what God has given me and the, and the position that God's placed me in. And to give somebody something to help them out when they, when they don't, when they're, they're using their money in a frivolous way, that's wrong. Go ahead. They did the same thing. They drank. They used her. Yeah. Um, one thing my friend needed to learn that if you don't protect yourself, you'll never be able to help anybody else. And you get destroyed in the process. You've got to protect yourself. You've got to set up a boundary of where you are protected. And how I view it is my home is my place where I can get away from everything when I need rest. Right. exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, the Bible says not to be slothful in business. This is our business. If you want to use it, not to be slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So a fervent in spirit is not to be slothful. If I'm slothful in business, am I allowing people to take advantage of me? Then that's being slothful. If I'm giving to people, that's not going to, you know, it's one thing to help a family. It's one thing to help some, you know, a family of children, a single mother. Uh, But even in that, you have to be careful. Because there's, um, I, I've, we had a person here years ago in church that they got the Holy Ghost, serving God. I'm since backslid, but um, I remember his story. And he said that he used to make, he was homeless. And he used to make a, how he survived was going from church to church. And giving them, a, he said he took advantage of the churches all the time. But he finally got right. I mean, he got the truth in him, and he was, you know, he, he really was, but that's how he did it. So eventually, you know, someone got a hold of him. God obviously did, but, but on the other hand, you know, again, it's just, it's being right, because we have to, and this is, we can't have the attitude, whether it be home or church, uh, are for no more, and we can't have that philosophy. Uh, selfless deeds of love are a vital part of making our homes centers of worship, and I think that our children should see that. Go ahead. Dating a girl that 
story about this uncle that went to a, another church that's not of our faith, and he had lost his home, lost his car, his family was fighting to survive, but he was giving everything to the church. He was buying a trailer for a pastor. He was giving 100% to the church, but his family was destitute. Yeah. Now, there's... Well, no, and that's not good stewardship. We're required to take care of our family. Man doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own household. He's denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. That person would have been considered an infidel. And, you know, you can try to buy yourself. That's trying to buy yourself into heaven. Yes, we need to give. And, again, anybody wants to give me about another five, ten thousand for the building, please do. I, I could use that right now, and we finish it up. Uh, so I don't have any problem with that. But don't, don't take food out of your children's mouths to do it. Okay, please, don't do that. There is a right and then there's a wrong. And believe me, that can be very wrong. Now, let's look, for a, let's look at the next section here. A joyful atmosphere. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Philippians 4.8 Every beautiful home has its own unique atmosphere created by the people who live there. So let us, let, let's, check, let's check up on the words spoken in our homes. Check up, all right? Let me, let's do this. If we placed a whole week of our family's words through a sieve of Philippians 4.8, how many words would be left? Okay? How many words would be left? If you, if you only spoke things that are true, things that are honest, you know, it's good report, lovely, uh, you know, if you only did that, there are any virtue or praise in them? You know, how many words would be left if you went through that sieve every week? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because there's a lot of power in, in words. Proverbs 18:21: death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Words of praise create a joyful, restful atmosphere. Murmuring and arguing create a heavy, depressive atmosphere. We know from Israel's history how the Lord hates murmuring. Asaph said that when he complained, it caused his spirit to be overwhelmed in Psalm 77 and 3. Our words affect our emotions. And if anybody doesn't know that, you find the hardest, the, the most negative, the most doubtful person, and you talk to him for two minutes. And I don't care how much joy that you have, they'll, they'll just suck everything right out of you. Now, I know that for a fact. You can come in and have all kinds of joy. And you talk to someone about all these negative... That is why sometimes, folks, I know that you may not always agree with me, but if we have a really good service... Now, I know sometimes I don't feel too good, but a lot of times I go out that door. And the reason I do that is because I don't want to lose what I got trying to get back to my office. And I think you should do the same thing. If you get something on a Sunday night service, whatever night or in a Sunday morning service, don't talk to the most negative person in the country. Move on. They shake their hand, look at them, smile real big, and run just as fast as you can. <laughs> You know, Christians, you know, they should praise God, but sometimes they fail to focus on particulars. 
You know, a praise list will help a Christian. And this is something you can give your children. Kind of help a Christian encompass the realm of praise. There is something so enlightening about seeing our thoughts written on paper. Negativism is the voice of unbelief, and praise is the voice of faith. So first, on your praise list is God, of course. Praise Him. And how do you praise Him? For what He is, His character. For His blessings, past, present, and future. For His promises. That takes quite a bit right there. If you can just praise Him for those things and have that list down, you'd be surprised at how long you can begin to praise. A good praise session, telling the Lord aloud of His greatness and goodness, brings joy both to our hearts and to His. And it's wonderful to refer to the praise list on days when the clouds hang low and we feel discouraged. That's when you use the list. This is when you bring it out before you and you start remembering, what did God do for me in the past? What has God, has God done presently? The good things has happened, you know, recently. And then what is God going to do for me in the future? And if you begin to look at that and you begin to praise God in this manner, you will find yourself begin to get your joy back. Even though there's a lot of discouragement around you, you'll begin to get your joy back. The, the psalmist referred to offering the Lord the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So if there, sometimes thanksgiving is a sacrifice, that means there's going to be some downtimes when you just don't feel like it. So it becomes a sacrifice. How in the world can I thank God for this situation when this situation is so bad? But when we begin to offer that as a sacrifice... God, I am going to thank you, even though it's hard for me to thank you. Then you begin to see things turn around in your life. So it's, it's the thanksgiving. That's Psalm 116, 17. Many times we offer praise when we are void of emotion. Faith is not affected by how we feel, but it's, it but has its foundation in what God promised to do in his word. Our home should be filled with praise on dark days as well as days filled with victory. Now, it should be. Second on the praise list is to praise yourself. Don't, don't get after me now. Now, how can you say that, Brother Robertson? How can you praise yourself when, we don't, when humility is a part of this and God is the only thing we should praise? How can we do that, Colton? Don't let it scare you. I won't make you answer. How can, we, how can, we do, how can I praise myself when everything in the Scripture tells me I shouldn't be praising myself? Have I finally lost over? Is dementia finally taken over, Brother Robertson? Is that right? Go ahead. Well, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I think what you're referring to is not saying, oh, look what I've done for me like Nebuchadnezzar did. Um, but I believe that maybe perhaps what you're talking about is you can look at the positive things that God has given you. He's given you the opportunity to take advantage of things, and you took that action. You proactive, and you did things that actually God honored and blessed. God can't bless unless you act. God waits on the church. The church doesn't wait on God, but God waits on the church. That's right. And when he gives opportunities for people to take a hold of, and people do that, I think it's really good for a person, instead of always doubting themselves and looking at their failures all the time, look at what you've accomplished in your life. Look at what you're doing. Look now we're, we're trying to build esteem in our children. Yes. So all right. Go, go ahead, Seth.
Good. Good. Mana? Absolutely. If you're not confident, you're not going to feel better from somebody else. Absolutely. What did David do? King David. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Go ahead. Exactly right. Go ahead. I think a lot of people have a struggle because they, they repent and they get the Holy Ghost and they know that God has filled them with His presence, but then they don't feel, they don't accept that. They don't accept God's love for them because they know that they are wretched. They, they know their past. It's right there with them. And so even though they know God's forgiven them and they know God loves them and filled them with His presence, they don't accept that. It's their confidence. Good. They never live in victory because the only way you can have victory is is by walking in, knowing that they say that we're that once that you're supposed to accept God's forgiveness for yourself and then forgive yourself. And and it's not that we take the place of what God is doing in our lives, but but if we don't, so to speak, forgive ourselves by accepting what God has done, then where's the victory at? We constantly walk around and, and we have we don't have victory. And the main way to have that is because we have to accept. That's that's exactly right. That's it. You go ahead, sis. I'm, I'm I enjoy this. Very good. Very good. You can praise. If we use, and I know maybe it's a little extreme term, you can praise yourself for your place in the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12. Thank you, Lord, that I'm an eye, a foot, <laughs> you know, a finger. Thank you. Thank you for what you did. Now, now, let's be honest. When we fast and you make it to whatever your goal is, don't you feel good? How much of that is from God and how much of it is this a fact that you did it. You feel good about accomplishing something. And that's where I'm talking about, God, look what happened. You put this on me, and I made it. But I could only make it through your help. You're building a stink. If a child doesn't feel good about themselves, they're not going to feel good, and that was very good, about anything else in the rest of their life. If you begin, it's just this, if you, if you place the, the title on your child as clumsy, Come on. Or, or uh, you know, a glutton. That child will keep that. That will stick with them. You know, you, 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 it's, good to, it's good to give them good things to hear and, and some praise. And, and that's, that's wonder, wonderful if we, can, if we can begin to do that. You know, third on the praise list is to praise others. And that takes us right into it. Since we're discussing the family, there is no better place to start. How is it that we sometimes tend to be less merciful to those that we love most? 
I can, I, you know, I, through the years, it's taken me a long time, but through the years, I have found myself taking out church problems on my wife. Now, I'm just being honest, okay? I've taken out church problems on her. And she's reminded me of it. <laughs> and, you know, I work, and, and you, you, you get so, you know, can I be honest and you won't, you won't leave on me? I get so mad I could punch somewhere right in the nose. And there's been times I've had people restrain me from doing it. And this, I'm a pastor. But, you know, it's, figured, it's just easier to knock them out and move on. But what happens, and this is, a, this is a great, Holmes wrote this. He said, don't flatter yourself that friendship authorizes you to say disagreeable things to your in- intimates. The nearer you come into relationship with a person, the more necessary do tact and courtesy become. The closer you are to someone, the more tact and courtesy you should have. So it's not right when people that love you and put up with you and have encouraged you and been with you that you don't give them the same courtesy. <clears throat> well, let's call it uh, uh, your church personality versus your home personality. Church personality should go home with you. Home personality should be the same as church personality. Right? So we need to praise others. You know, psychologists state that labels, again, I said this, when we put on children such as sloppy, clumsy, usually stay with them for life. And since we're to teach our children, it is easy to fall into the pattern of perpetually pointing out only their failures. Parents ought to catch their children doing right things and then compliment them appropriately. On his list, a person should begin with his spouse and then his children, and he could write that he likes what he likes about their character and about their behavior. Then, then comes the fun part. He can use his imagination to think of ways to tell his family the things he recorded on his praise list about them. These are lists that you can have your children make. What's good about, uh, son, what, what's good about me? Let him put down the good things about you. And then you put down the good things about him and read them. And I just heard my. You know, I've been here for a long time. I've never not turned my phone off. I think I am getting a little dementia. It wasn't a call, thank God. It was a ding from probably one of the 250 places that send me all kinds of junk. <laughs> and they send it on Sunday. Can you believe that? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a praise list. Next, next family devotion. Uh, we're all going to tell something. This is, could be, you know, what you do. Our next family devotion, we're going to tell something we really like about each family member. And when members compliment each other as freely at home as they do their friends at church, the family will grow closer together. And again, you just need to check, you know, where's my church manners versus where are my home manners? And our, our praise others list should extend to people we speak of in our homes. The adage, if you have nothing good to say, uh, say nothing. And that's a good one. Is a good family rule. One preacher made this, and, and you know, I can, I've, I've really never, thank God, I've never had to face this. But one preacher, uh, he had a, a mother coming to him, wanting him to do something, talk to, counsel with their teenage daughter. She was out of control. And, and the, the pastor couldn't do it. He said, there's no way I can do this. He said, because she has absolutely no respect for me because of what Yuns have done in the past. Now you think about it. 
if you have spent her whole life has heard the preacher run down constantly, then when you need the preacher, what's going to happen? She's going to have your respect for him. So, so in, in this situation, you know, it, it's, it, he couldn't do a thing for him. You know, we need to consciously seek to build others up in our, in our children's eyes, and they'll follow our example. A regular practice of praising others will repel spirits of comparison, criticism, jealousy, envy, and covetousness that would seek to tear down our homes. Prayer in our homes should be as natural and as habitual as eating. If we take all decisions and problems to the Lord, our children will view prayer as a lifestyle rather than only as a Christian duty. Example is so necessary, but we need to actively include our children in prayer, praise, and fasting so they too will have memorials in their relationship with God. We should teach older children to keep a personal notebook. You know, that's something I've always done myself, uh, journal kind of thing. Uh, I don't, I'm not one of these people that writes every day in a journal, but I write highlights, things that have happened uh, throughout. I'm about through one journal. I figure by the time I get through this, it's time to quit. So I figure I'm one, one journal, one ministry, 30 years or 29 years that's coming. So, so you know, it's, uh, uh, so I, I, but, but you know, I go back to that a lot. And I have seen my negative times in it. And it's made me think you know, you have a tendency, or at least I do. I don't know if anybody else does. But I, I tended to write for a long time just the bad things. And then, and then I got to look, and I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to remember the bad things. How about, what about these good things? Then I begin to, to change and write the good things in there. Now, occasionally I revert back to my bad things writing. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, by the most part, I've, I've tried to change that. It helps. And, and children need to do the same thing. If they can write down what good thing happened, what person got the Holy Ghost, what friend of mine was baptized. You know, my daddy preached for the first time on this date. Three got the Holy Ghost. You know, that, that's good things. You know, yours is all too old to do all that. Well, it wouldn't hurt him, but at one time, I'm sure that they did because your kids are great. Mona did a great job. <laughs> so we need to include our children. Now, let's, let's, look at, let's look at family devotions. There's a lot of books on family devotions and family devotion time. Uh, family devotion should become a top priority or the cares of life will move in further down on the to-do list because it will. Consistency is, is more vital than frequency. Uh, you know, if we, we set a goal, we're going to have fam- family devotions every Monday night. <laughs> be sure that you make it every Monday night. It would be better to set it once a month on a Monday night and get that one done. And the kids see that this particular date always happens. Then you can move to two a month. You understand what I'm saying? I, you know, whatever you can do, but be sure that you can be consistent with it because that's one thing uh, what children see. They really see that one. Topics covered during faith devotion should meet family needs. And you should be flexible. So that in the middle of a series on Moses' life, our family needs a devotion on forgiveness. Don't continue on Moses' life. You know, we've got a problem here. We've got our, our, our children that are lacking forgiveness. They're not forgiving their brother or sister for whatever they did. So it's time for a devotion on forgiveness. You can leave Moses' life out for the next week. 
You know, some people, I've just got to stay right on, on, on line here, and I've got, to, I've got to do this exactly the way it's supposed to be done. And, and you know, they're missing out. They're, they're eat up with this lack of forgiveness or this, this anger that they have, or whatever it may be. They're just, just completely eat up with this. And there's a time then to make a devotion on something different. And, and, and children squirm a lot. Okay? They squirm a lot. Don't make this a time for Daddy to preach for an hour. Make this, make this a time for, you know, for, you, for these, these children. Make it ten minutes and make it on something, you know, ooey-gooey was a worm, you know, kind of thing. And it's something that they understand. I don't know how you get ooey-gooey to be in the Bible, but we could figure it out some way. <laughs> you need to teach them a Bible lesson. And it can be five minutes or it can be ten minutes, but let it be something that they understand. I, I've heard people before get really, you know, what... One girl made this statement. She said, our family devotions was dad's hour-long sermon. You've got to be creative in their approach, using skits, Bible games, panel discussions, buzz groups, sermonettes, or even puppets. Interaction is always an important characteristic of an effective family devotion. Through interaction, parents may find out what their children think, how they feel about topics, and about their level of comprehension. What are they comprehending here? Families can sing together, testify, take prayer requests. It's family devotion time, and all heaven watches because home is where most children make up their minds whether they're going to serve God or not. It's right there. That's when they make up their minds. And uh, it's, it's sad when we, we find out. You know, you know, acceptance and forgiveness are, are restful furnishings. This is how we're going to furnish this place. Those children need to know that they're accepted and loved no matter what. They need to know that. And sometimes, uh, I'm going to close with this one. I I, I got to thinking about this, and maybe won't get it, maybe will. There comes a point when tile cleaner will no longer whiten the caulking in a tiled shower. And the only way to fix it is to scrape it out and put in fresh caulking. In a very similar way, we have sometimes have to scrape out old relationships. You hear me? And confession and repentance has to come, restoring the relationship with genuine forgiveness. Sometimes things come and it hurts us in a family, you know, in a family manner, and, and we have to scrape out the stuff that is up here and extend forgiveness, especially if you're dealing with teenagers. You know, sometimes you just simply... You have to, they're going to do stupid things. That's the nature of a teenager. From, the, from 13 years old up to 19 years old, they need to be put on an island somewhere. Boys one place, girls the other. Okay? And be sure they can't swim between the islands. <laughs> they're going to mess up. But you can't hold it against them. Those are your children. You have to scrape out the hurt. And you have to apply some brand new white caulking. What you need to do, and so you, uh, you know, let me let me give this. I don't care how little a child is. Maybe this child is only eye level if you get down on one knee in front of them. But one of the best things you can do, the best thing you can do, is say this one statement: "I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me?" If you do that with your children, believe me, there's nothing impossible. They got to know that 
Mom and dad can be wrong. They can get mad. They can say the wrong things. I am wrong. Will you forgive me? You know, I, 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 and I'm sorry. And it's, it's, it's important for us not to take our children for granted. Just think that we can take them to church and that's going to be enough. It's not. Long gone is the days when the Sunday school teachers and the preachers are the ones that raise your children. That can't happen anymore. We need families doing it. We're all ministry, every one of us. Stand with me if you would. Yeah, I'm trying to get my brain. We have church tonight, don't we? Okay. Well, last week, I was, you know, we didn't have church tonight, and I was trying to get everybody to come and pray. I hope they did, but we didn't have church. Come early and pray. Come early and pray. Um, for the men, we don't, I, I haven't had a chance, I'll say it again. We did get the keys that I talked about ordered, uh, and these are um, the key to revivals printed on them. And First Chronicles 7.14, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's on the other side. These are going to be uh, handed out to our, our men downstairs. Again, they're ordered uh, because of the holiday last week. It kind of threw shipment back. So they should be here next week. And we're going to hand these out. And I want to get our men back to prayer the way that they used to. And of course, I was down there. Uh, it was Sunday before last, I guess. Yes. And, and we had uh, had a good turnout. I really believe the key, and always has been the key, to revival in any church is men praying. And uh, and the lady said, I'm not negating you in any way. You know, we need to pray. But men are the are the leaders of the family. And if this is not important to them, it's not going to be important to their children. So it's important to pray. All right, let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy, your eternal, eternal touch in our soul. God, that you have been with us and you've been a very present help in time of trouble, have been a refuge and a strength. You have been with us in times, God, of hardship. You have carried us, Lord, and you have blessed in many ways. And I ask that you would continue to touch each and every one as we praise and lift you up. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.